Comrade, you are listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, this is Jeff on the show. We also have two extremely special guests today. Uh, we have first, uh, well, returning champion, the person that really got me in the radio, former host of NOLA Matters, Islam in the Crescent City, Jenny Yanez. Jenny, how you doing? Hey, Salam. Peace be upon you, Jeff. It's so nice to, to be here with you today. Awesome. I'm so glad to be here. And we miss you. Um, miss you physically <laughs> here in New Orleans. But you're I still here you. with us. Of course. Of course. I, I can't not be like having seen all of the things that have happened in Louisiana over the past couple of weeks with the election and, the you know, Jeff Landry and the Louisiana Democratic Party and like not be like, okay, who do I have to talk to to fix this and how do we do it? <laughs> you know, like, like that's like, like I'm just a busybody, I guess. Uh, we also have uh, Sabrine Abed. Is that, uh, that's correct, right? I'm saying your name right? Yes. Okay. And you want to introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Sabrine. I'm a human rights attorney here in the city of New Orleans, and I am extremely happy to be here with Jeff. Yeah. And yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of the really um, I mean, it feels like a nightmare right now that we're that that for me and I, I have no like direct familiar or any kind of other connections to the reason. But but the the things that are the essentially the genocide that's happening in Palestine right now uh, and all of the horrible you know acts that have been taking place on the part of the the uh, Israeli government uh, in response to um you know into um some you know actions by hamas so i guess to sort of get started can um jenny and um or sabrine whichever one of you wants to go first can y'all just sort of describe just to kind of set the table for this whole thing the situation that's been kind of happening been happening in israel and palestine like i know it's a big ass but like in a, in a very brief period like set the table of like how we even got to uh october 7th before like the 75 years prior great i'm happy to discuss that so i think looking at the action that occurred on october 7th and have been going on since then it can't be viewed in a vacuum right this goes back 75 years this actually goes back 100 years right mm -hmm. there's this there's this country of palestine there's palestinians living in it you have world war ii the end of it and there's all these Jewish people who don't have a homeland, they don't feel safe, they need somewhere to go. There have always been Jews in Palestine, right? Always. And so they flocked to Palestine where they knew they would be safe. And you have, you know, Great Britain, you have the United States, you have all these Western powers who have always wanted control over the Middle East, right? And so giving these Jewish people a homeland within the Middle East, within Palestine, was the perfect opportunity to look as the world saviors as well as fulfilling their dream of controlling the Middle East, right? Like this is what this all comes down to. 
and you know you have the creation of israel in 1948 and with that has come a genocide right this this term genocide i feel like this is the first time in my life i've actually heard people use it to describe what israel is doing in palestine but i feel like that is a that is a disservice to all the Palestinians who have been dying in Palestine at the hands of Israel 75 years back, right? The genocide right. did not start October 7th. It didn't start today. It started 75 years ago. They've been killing Palestinians. They've been holding Palestinians without any type of justice, any type of court proceedings, anything. And you have right now in Gaza, you have 2.2 million people. That number is not accurate anymore because they've killed thousands of people. But you know, 2.2 million people in the strip of land that is not that big in Gaza, and they're blocked. It's an open-air prison. They can't mm -hmm. go anywhere. They can't go in. They can't go out. They're blocked by the sea. They're blocked by air, and they're constantly being bombed with nowhere to go. And so this mm -hmm. genocide didn't start October 7th. started 75 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's really sort of important. You mentioned 2.2 million people living on this tiny little strip of land. It's one of the most densely populated places in the entire world. It's so it's and um, I, I remember uh, even I mean, this is just one sort of incident that took place in the midst of COVID. But there was bombing of of Gaza even during the COVID, <laughs> the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic that's, by the way, still going on. But also like during the heights of that, like two, three years ago. Um, Jenny, did you want to add anything to that? Um, we've been saying uh, that Gaza is an open air prison, and it, and it is. I'm not saying that it's not. But I think there have been a more uh, a clear communication of what we mean when we say open air prison. And there was um, the term is concentration camp. I think we are more. At least I know I have started to use that term to call it concentration camp because a prison, uh, and the reason we call it an open air prison is because basically the people are their captive, right? They're, 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 they're captives, they're against their will. There's barbed wires everywhere. So it's, it's clear to, to have that imagery of, of the, wi the wires, the fences, the, the gates, um, the militarization around it. In that sense, yeah, any space that's militarized like that uh, is definitely a, a prison. But none of these people are in there because of anything that they did they're they're not criminals they have not they they are women their children their family entire tribes so i think mm -hmm. now that as we you know as we try to communicate this to people who keep not saying that they don't understand what's going on and we try to communicate it clear i'm more comfortable with using the word concentration camp to describe that yeah um, so I, I guess to sort of like move forward. So on, on um, October, October 7th, there was, yeah, there was a sort of a push by, um, by the, by the group Hamas to um, essentially took some hostages and, and, and there was an attack by them and the response, and this is not the first time, um, but the response by Israel has been so incredibly disproportionate. Um, and it's almost to the point where um, I don't know. It, it it feels like the 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 value of of Israeli lives are far more 
um, are far more value than those of Palestinian lives in this sort of situation. I mean, especially considering that many of these people are civilians that have been attacked. I've, I've been hearing a lot this, this whole rhetoric of, you know, our, our children, our, our mothers, our, you know, sisters, and like Palestinian men are just as deserving of a fulfilled life as children, as women, as anyone else. Those men in Gaza have done nothing wrong but being born Palestinian within this border that Israel has deemed that they can bomb at any point they choose. So I just wanted to address that. But I mean, put put the bombing aside, right? Because there's all these, you know, I'm going to I'm going to quote Trump for the first time in my life, but, you know, fake news, um, <laughs> these fake news, Israeli propaganda that Hamas is the one bombing Gaza, which is the dumbest thing ever. But, you know, whatever. So the, the rockets aside, the fact that Israel decides whether Gaza has food, water, electricity, medicine, any type of aid is absurd. There is no reason why Israel should control whether a Gaza a Gaza person eats tonight or not, regardless of Hamas, regardless of the rockets, even on a regular day basis when they are not in constant bombing, they still are able to cut off water. They literally calculate the minimum amount of food needed to survive for the population in Gaza, and that's how much food they allowed into the Gaza border. That is disgusting. Yeah, and then then would have and and when determining that policy, I can't remember. It was a high. Uh, it was like this horrible line of a uh, uh, high-level Israeli official saying that oh, D- Gazans need to go on a diet, which is essentially like budget cuts to <laughs> to people's like food that they need to survive. It's incredibly right. like callous and cruel. Um, Jenny. So actually, uh, yesterday was it yesterday? It seems like days and nights are turning into one for us. You know, for people of conscience who just think about all the humans under rubble and uh, the bombs that are going to keep falling on them and then their survivors. As Sabrine said, how the survivors, if if you are burying your husband and children uh, and you survive, then now you have no water and food for yourself and your remaining family and neighbors and and especially no time to grieve. I mean, they can't even bury properly. So, so yeah, so we was in a, and, and there was a protest, uh, a rally, I should say, uh, the rally yesterday in front of City Hall. And I actually brought that up, the portion of response. And I said that, you know, it's it's not how, how can it be proportional? So if you're looking at uh, Israel, who is a recognized state. Palestine is not even recognized as a state by the United States, not even recognized. Uh, Israel has a full military. And it has nuclear weapons, fully supported by billions of dollars of the United States money and weapons and trade, fully supported. And Palestinians can't have weapons. They can't have planes. They don't have, I mean, they're not reckon, they, they cannot have any of these things. So when you talk about disproportional, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. When we talk about this proportional, and I, I did have some numbers because, like I said, I did talk about that yesterday at the rally. We It's $270 billion in combined economic and military aid, 
aid since World War II, more than we've given any other country in the world. And it's about $18.7 billion a year in trade with Israel. It's our largest recipient of foreign aid. How is that proportional to begin with? Right? The, the power, we, we talk about, you know, that it, it's just not fair. It is not explaining it enough. The differential and in, in the power, the, the difference in power here is enormous, enormous. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to talk about this proportional, Israel is far, far in a position of, 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 of a powerful, you know, securitized, militarized, fascist government and against the people that are displaced in a concentration camp. They're mm -hmm. controlling. I mean, we all heard it. 24 hours. You have 24 hours and we are cutting your water, electricity. We're cutting and um, food. Nothing's going to come in. Nothing's going to come out. Have you ever met an oppressed person that has the power to do that for anyone? <laughs> right. It's just mind boggling. It's like, does anybody have common sense? Um, they, it's, they're, we're, they're caged and then they're being told you're being cut off from the world. Who's cutting them off? Who's cutting them off? The poor victims? The poor victims are cutting them off? So if we want to talk about disproportionate, let's talk about that. Let's that's disproportionate. And then let alone, you know, disproportionate that the, the United States was the only dissenting voice against the ceasefire at the United Nations. You have a power as strong as the United States that has veto power on your side that it's it's grossly disproportionate i will agree you want to talk about disproportionate it's grossly disproportionate completely favored to israel there it's very little um that can be done without the united states and many of the world powers calling this what it is this is ethnic mm -hmm. cleansing and you have positioned the palestinians for genocide mm -hmm. and 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 there's uh like there's also the expectation or like the like, I, I, I don't know how to put this elegantly, but like there's this sort of like rhetorical expectation that like the Palestinians must be perfectly, utterly peaceful while facing what you just mentioned, this constant state of deprivation and violence um, and being forced in this in this situation um, when I mean, you and I, all, all three of us understand human nature when people are pushed to the limits. They, they fight back. And, you know, this is not, again, not in a situation where anybody, I don't want anybody to condemn or, uh, or excuse anything by anybody, any, any party here, but like, just in a sort of, on a sort of, um, on a sort of like, this is how people work level, like you're going to, you're essentially cultivating a situation where you're going to have a militant radical um, leadership of whatever, you know, the people that you're oppressing. Like, that's just going to happen. That's just how it works. So I've never been in the practice of telling oppressed people how to fight their oppressor. I don't think anyone <laughs> should, should do that. But, you know, we know from history that liberation is not pretty. It's not nonviolent. The only way a people have ever gained their freedom is through armed resistance. We also know, not that I respect international law, but for people who only accept things if white people say it, we know under international law that armed resistance is the right of the oppressed. I mean, the United Nations, for whatever that means, tells us that, right? But when you have 
oppressed people, when you have a mother who has buried all of her children, I mean, what, what else is she supposed to do? She has lost everything. She has buried every aspect of life she has given. What, what do you do? When you look at your dad, my dad's a you know political prisoner. He was imprisoned by Israel many, many times for opposing the occupation. And my dad has scars all over his body. What do I do after 27 years when every day I see these scars on my body and I'm reminded every day constantly of the torture my father went through when my mom got pregnant the israeli occupation forces could not understand how she was pregnant because they told her they also tell my siblings and i every time we go back to palestine that they tortured my father in a way to ensure that he could not have children and so they don't understand how he then gave life to four of us right an israeli soldier beat my mother's pregnant stomach at one point Right? That baby survived, but these are the things that Palestinians live with. This is what occupation looks like on a day to day basis, not just in Gaza, not just when Hamas does something to Israel and, and they want to what they call fight back. This is every day. This is what a, occupation and oppression looks like. And so, yeah, people people are going to fight back. We saw it with we saw it with the Black Panther Party. Right. They were labeled a terrorist organization. We saw it with apartheid South Africa. We saw it with the IRA in Ireland. I mean, this is just textbook definition of what an oppressed people do. And I'm just going to say it. When Hamas parachuted into Israel on October 7th, those Hamas fighters were going home. That's the land of their parents, their grandparents. That that was Palestine pre-1948. This isn't just some idea that they parachuted into a land that's not theirs or that they've never known or that they have no connection to. That land is what their grandparents cultivated and built with their very own hands. That's the same land that their grandparents and ancestors got married on and had children and died on. And so to say you have no right to come, I mean, that's absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that, that's true. And um, yeah, definitely I, the one thing that I can take away from something like that is, yeah, you cannot tell people that you've been oppressing for you know, decades, almost a hundred years that, you know, when, when, when the, you can't expect them to be a perfect victim, <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's like, it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to expect Palestinians to not fight back um, when they're constantly being pushed to the limit and facing the issues of deprivation and, and, and violence that that's a constant regular state of affairs in what has been labeled by many even like u.s aligned human rights groups as an apartheid state like the the, the united states and and you mentioned uh, uh ireland and, and south africa two of the major countries that have actually uh aligned with uh palestine in uh in, right. in the struggle which is uh glad to see they haven't forgotten i suppose <laughs> it's a good thing Right. And I and I want to address another point of this constant battle that people who are pro-Palestine are facing is just constantly having to defend the idea that saying free Palestine or condemning the actions of Israel is somehow anti-Semitic. Palestinians are Semitic by definition. They speak Arabic. A Semite is somebody who speaks Arabic. So you cannot say that the call for our own liberation is anti-Semitic when we ourselves are Semitic. I mean, this rhetoric is so violent and it is so inaccurate and it just leads to this further idea that Israel can do whatever it wants to the Palestinians because telling Israel anything is anti-Semitic, it's anti-Jewish. And it's not. The idea of Israel, the foundation of Israel is anti-Jewish itself.
Right. And and <laughs> I mean, can you actually explain that a little bit further about why this the, the establishment of Israel is anti-Jewish? Um, I, I'm not saying I disagree, but I actually I am not familiar with this. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at Judaism and what it is in its entirety, the values don't align with what Israel does, right? I'm not, I'm not Jews. So I feel like I'm not, I shouldn't, I'm not like the okay. spokesperson and I shouldn't talk about sure. this, but I encourage everyone to look up Judaism, the values of Judaism, what the, their own tourist says about a homeland, do that research and then see what Israel is by definition and see if they align or not. And they won't. Oh, and, and, oh, go ahead, Jenny. Sabrina, um, wanted to say something to what you were saying. Uh, in 1948, if it, this was, as we all know, when this, uh, the Balfour Agreement, and this was a British, it's a British decision that was made for a people that weren't living in the land of Palestine at the time. That is one way that you know that this was a call from the Jewish people, from the Jewish land. It was neither thing. No. Um, but it was a deal between empires for what to do with what they they had decided was a problem of the Jewish people because this was not, had nothing to do. We did not, the Palestinians, the Muslims even, if I may say, the Arabs did not create the problem that Europe considered the Jewish people to be. We have a far long history of being supportive to the Jewish faith. It is in our religion. And, and the Christian Arabs have been supportive of the Jewish faith for millennia, not even century, millennia. So this is a modern uh, problem created by empires. And these are, uh, I mean, there's so much that could be said about that, but um, it, this has nothing, this has, people that are saying this has to do with religion, this is, they used religion. They used uh, our sentiments, whether you're Jewish, whether, and I can't speak for the Jewish people either. Sabrina, I agree with you a thousand million percent. Um, uh, whether we, whatever faith that we are, right? We recognize when the leaders and, and the people who are constructing these, these, um, these contracts and making these systems of power, we realize when they use the religion, we realize when they use religion to justify their acquiring of power or their disproportionate um, preference over one group over another. Because people of a real conscience and people of faith, <clears throat> that calling, we, it would look very, it looks very different for us, right? It looks very different. So we recognize that this is, uh, and there may be, there may be religious, religious people in any of our communities that are saying that the other one, uh, this is the interpretation. But what's happened in 1948 has nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and definitely um, the 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 sort of way that the the state of Israel is used, um, sort of militarily. Uh, I mean, like Joe Biden in it was either the eighties or in the nineties himself said, you know, a long time ago that if Israel did not exist, uh, we would have to invent it because it's the perfect sort of hot button um issue that or um nation that can that, that the u.s can have as a permanent ally in the region that they can use as a strategic sort of forward operating base to project empire and that's something that's that's like n never even touched on in a lot of this discussion um but like when you when you think about i mean when you when you think about it in terms of 
Uh, and, and again, this is not me talking. This is Joe Biden saying this, uh, talking about the strategic like abilities and the strategic sort of advantages that you get from having an, uh, an Israel and have it be in such a like specifically military, militarily politicized situation where, you know, it's just it's I mean, and I mean, call it what it is. It's a it's a it's a it's an ethno state. It's a um, it's a religious ethno state to a certain extent. And the other day we were at a teaching, and I learned a lot. And Sabrina, if you remember the name of the <clears throat> of the of, of the person who who brought this up, it, I had never thought about it as much, and I and I feel I should have known. Of course, I guess I never had asked this question, or I forgot that I knew. But the whole the term itself, Middle East, is not a term that the Arabs gave themselves. It's not a term the Palestinians gave themselves. Uh, the region didn't give himself its name. It's it's a name a colonizer yeah. gave too. It's a, the middle of the east of what? It's the middle of what? If you if it, it's a, really it's the middle of what? I mean, if it's between our trade routes and the eastern trade routes, right? Between the western trade routes and the eastern trade routes, these people are in the middle, and we got to make sure that they let us, you know, do what we got to do. Or the Middle East is not a term that's in our religions. It's not a term that's in our cultures. It's not a term that's, you know, in our language. This is, again, this a, is, we're using know, language also that's the oppressive of the oppressor. It is a fundamentally Western term. Yeah. Sure. Thank you for putting it succinctly for me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to work out how we've accepted certain terms. We've just accepted certain terms and we, we learn how to speak them, but then we have to own our own terms. Right. And let me tell you something, cause you know, I'm Muslim, you know that. And, um, and that's not, I care about this, not just because I'm Muslim, but because um, anybody that's human should care about this. But uh, for Muslims, the center of the world is, is in the middle East. That's where our prophets came from. That's the center of the world. So um, yeah, that's news for the West. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to uh, just wanted to put that out there, Sabrina. Uh, you know, I'll just add to the whole religion topic of this. Two days ago, Israel bombed a Christian hospital in Gaza. That hospital had a church inside of it where people in Gaza were seeking shelter because their their houses had been bombed and demolished, and so. When we make this a Jew versus Arab or Muslim versus Jew, well, what about the Palestinian Christians who have always been there, who have always been in Palestine and have always been persecuted by Israel since their creation? What about them? Where is their justice? Israel constantly blocks Palestinian Christians from having Easter service, Easter mass in Palestine. They constantly block them from entering Bethlehem. I mean, where is their justice? Where is America? Where is the West for the Christians in Palestine who are being persecuted? Does no one care about them because they happen to be a Palestinian Christian and not just a white American Christian? Yeah, it's it, that is that is really strange. And like you don't even really think about it. like I, I don't often think about that about how how I mean obviously there are there are people of every religion everywhere, but like yeah, it's like one of those sorts of things where. Um, I, I guess you just don't think about it all the time. And Jeff, um, what Sabrina was saying about the Christians, if Jesus, peace be upon him, 
or in Bethlehem, in his birthplace, if he was alive in his birthplace, he would need to get through a military checkpoint and he would need permission from the fascist Zionist government of Israel to pray in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He, he would yeah. need there, there are walls, there's checkpoints, there's heavily fortified military checkpoints. He would need permission from them to get to Jerusalem. And the fact that there are so many Christians in this country that don't know that, mm-hmm. that don't know that, um, is, is frightening. It's frightening because there is the majority of people in this country do identify and, and, and say that they are Christian. And so they should have, uh, I, I can't tell you what they should have. I would hope that they have the moral, uh, the, the, the moral courage to tell their politicians, listen, if you don't care about the mother folk, you know, there are, this is the birthplace of Christianity. So why don't we listen to the Christians on the ground? Why, why we want to hear from them? Because, see, that if we're talking religiously, that, that's, that's also where I'm at. That's a really interesting point. And like, that's something that could definitely be, um, I don't know, sort of a way that, that this can be discussed in a way that this can still sort of be moved forward. And I think that's a, that's a really good one. Uh, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We are talking about uh, the, I mean, <laughs> hard to, dis- the, the, the really, you know, terrifying, uh, events that have been taking place over the past uh, several weeks now in uh, in Palestine and Gaza um, by the Israeli, Israeli military forces, um, and uh, we are joined by Jenny Yanez and Sabrine Abed. Um, and I guess I wanted to kind of move forward to a little bit of um, how a lot of like we, we I mentioned a moment ago uh, that you know decades ago Joe Biden mentioned that if uh, Israel didn't exist uh, for strategic reasons, uh, the United States would have to invent it. Um, and the, the Biden administration during this entire, um, during this entire, um, again, what we're seeing happening right now in uh, the ethnic cleansing in Gaza uh, has been like the, the Biden administration has not backed down from that one bit, has not backed down from being in complete lockstep with Israel. Um, there have been very few courageous politicians in America uh, Rashida Tlaib and Cory Bush stand out. Uh, Rashida is uh, Palestinian herself, uh, and you know uh, there there've also been uh, several that have come up and called for a ceasefire. Uh, I saw just before we recorded uh, that the Senate just voted ninety-seven to zero against uh, a ceasefire, as or like in favor of like supporting Israel type resolution. So, um, in ter- as far as it being. Uh, actual movement towards um, like de-escalating the situation, at least in the short term, that doesn't seem to be very much on the table. But like, I do think it's important to look at the way that um, that American uh, politicians, including like let like pro- like progressive politicians, if you want to call them that, like John Fetterman, who is who is viewed as a very progressive um, senator who was just elected, uh, just gave a very <laughs> a very, very strong statement that was um, like strongly supportive of Israel. And it was like one of these things that I see in my sort of like social circles, just dividing people, I guess, just to talk to to sort of like, you know, tee up a pretty, pretty big sort of question in terms of the political response from, um, from the United States. Uh, And 
even if you want to talk about abroad, we can do that as well. Uh, what are your what are your sort of thoughts on that? I'll say this: I've never looked to the West to find out who who are the terrorists, who are the not, who are the oppressed, who are the occupied. Uh, I don't see how any, America has never been on the side of the oppressed. So for anybody to turn their TV on and willfully, blindfully follow what they're saying on Fox News, um, you are actively choosing to get false information, right? Uh, this is something happening outside of the United States. And to me, it's just absurd that you would try to get your news from anyone except where it's happening, right? Ask Palestinians what's happening. Ask them what they think about what's going on. But to ask a white man who's on Fox News, who's been in America his whole life, has never stepped foot in Palestine. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's ridiculous. And then... Well, so we, we know why they're doing it, though, right? I mean, if it's $19 billion of trade and business a year, just in the economic, that's the economic relationship that the United States has with Israel, just in trade and trade partners, we're $19 billion a year. And if you think about in aid, we're in, we, we give a lot more in aid. So look at what happened in Harvard for the Harvard students the other day, that they wanted to protest. They, they, can you think of a more peaceful and clear way to express, to, to, to eloquently express your thoughts than writing a letter, a statement, a letter. These are words on a paper. And the Harvard students were censored for that letter. They were censored for that letter. They said, give us their name. We're not going to hire them. What does that tell you? What does that tell you why they are doing this? I, I don't have to say it. I mean, it's clear. And the, the fact that uh, it doesn't matter if, if you are, if us as a society look at places like Harvard, which are deeply entrenched white supremacist places, so I, I don't want to make an apology for that. I mean, I, I realize that. But we look up to them as people who, are, who come out of Harvard, as people who are given an opportunity, an elite opportunity to use critical minds and to be thinkers. And then they're telling us, well, we're not allowing them to really think. They're, they're thinking what we're giving them, or they can only say the piece that we want them so they can continue the status quo. So other than that, we don't want them to think too much. So they're literally telling us that. So, but that, this like, I can just see the average person is going through CNN and they, you know, and they're looking at Harvard students and they're thinking, oh, the, the, they're probably, the, that's probably a fringe group. It's a fringe group. So Harvard has to control them. They, they, they're not seeing that every single voice of protest, no matter how peaceful it is, is being silenced. And I, I use that example because it's a letter. Can you think of any more peaceful form of damn protest, Jeff? Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, it's about as straightforward as you can get. Um, and and this is not uncommon in the United States, at least. I know there's what thirty something states where if you want to be a school teacher, uh, I used to be a school teacher. Um, but you have to sign essentially a pledge that you will not participate in boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which is essentially like saying that you will not use products that that are made in uh, Israeli in Israeli you know co colonies. Um, if you essentially participate or promote um, BDS, then you can be fired from your job, and that's like one of these sorts of things where 
you know, when people complain about like, oh, no, I said something racist and now I'm being canceled. Like, no, this is actual cancel culture. This is like people actually standing up and doing something to actually help people. And they're being they're being they're being punished for it. And, and you used to work there, Jeff. You, you, you said Israeli colonies. We, we know they're called occupied territories. If that doesn't tell you who the colonist is, I mean, <laughs> are they, the words they use themselves. Palestine is an occupied territory. They, you, I mean, you look at the maps. That's the words they use to describe. And you said colony, so I don't know how, what that letter that they make y'all sign is, which is a, it, it's a, it's it's absurd. It's again, I'm not a lawyer. Look, you know what? Sabrina's a lawyer, so let me let me shut up and, and give her time to talk. I mean, to to me, I've never seen those letters. I don't like to read shit like that. It's okay. We can we can we can on the back end. Okay. I don't like to read. Yeah, like I don't want to talk but... about law either. We have a lawyer here, but it just seems to me, from the, from the eye of someone who 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 a layperson, not a lawyer, that if it says you have to sign something that says that your conscience cannot be this kind of conscience, goes against my rights of, of religious and, and and First Amendment freedoms. But like I said, you know that's a whole other discussion, right? Can have many shows on that too, Jeff. By the way. Thank you for the tip. <laughs> I mean, so we like, laugh. It's not funny, but we laugh because it, it's so ridiculous. It, it, you, you, I mean, yeah, laugh. it's just that absurd. You, you have to laugh to prevent prevent yourself from crying. That's sort of my my jokerish uh, my jokerish approach to these kinds of things. But Sabrine, did you want to talk about it? Uh, that. I mean, yeah. I mean, those the signing those letters is just. Uh, very simple violation of a person's freedom to speech, but also their freedom to assembly, right? So when you're going out and you're saying, I'm protesting Israel and the genocide they're committing, therefore I am, you know, going to do this BDS campaign, that is my right, right? Like we all have the, we live in a democracy or so I thought, we have the right to get in the street and say, I don't like X. And so to say, I don't like what Israel is doing, all the way from America to somehow be a way for you to lose your job at a public mm -hmm. school. Like, where's the freedom to assembly? Where's the freedom to protest? Where's the freedom of speech? I mean, we have become not a democracy. Not, I mean, I can make the argument that we were never a democracy, but I mean, we live in a dictatorship controlled not by our president, but controlled by the president of an illegal country across the world. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm reading and I'm reading from Human Rights Watch, which is not my favorite human rights organization necessarily, but they, they have said many United States are using anti boycott laws and executive orders to punish companies that refuse to do business with illegal Israeli settlements in the West Bank. Human Rights Watch said today. Uh, more than 250 million Americans, some 78% of the population, live in states with anti-boycott laws or policies. 27 states have adopted laws or policies that penalize businesses, organizations, or individuals that engage in or call for boycotts against Israel. The laws and uh, the laws or policies in 17 of those states explicitly target not only companies that refuse to do business with uh, in or with Israel, but also those that refuse to do business in Israel settlements. So that's just like wow you know it's just like one of those sorts of things like I, you thought you had free speech you thought you had the first amendment rights didn't you well, got you there you go jeff so you can't write a letter because that's mm. you know that's gonna that's uh that's not acceptable you're gonna be censored right we know that and the, the case that we gave as an example was the harvard students and then 
you can't use, you can't say, I don't want to buy goods from this company. So you can't boycott a boycott that. Well, that's, that's, that's radical. That's a radical extremist, right? So you can't write letters. You can't boycott products. What, what do, what do, how do they want us? How does, how do they want us to run our, our, our resistance? And I say ours in like in general, right? I'm taking ownership of it, but it's, it, I'm not on the ground suffering. How do they want us to take ownership of our resistance? If you take away the most peaceful of its tools, if you take away the most peaceful of the resistance tools, what is the resistance left with? At the end of the day, we get the message clearly. They want to rid of everyone who's part of the resistance. They rid them of their peaceful tools, and then they will fight them of whatever other tools they can get. They want to rid the resistance. That is clearly what's going on. And they don't. And then when they control social media, social media, you know, and I'm sorry, Sabine, I'm going to take this point, but I want, I want to give Sabine the time. She had so much to give. When I was on Facebook the other day, meta, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, You see any articles that are shared from RT underneath it, what does it say? It says, Russian state-controlled media, right? So what about all this propaganda that the United States put, puts out? Why don't we get underneath it, right? Zionist state-controlled media. So they decide what, oh, you know, they're making these decisions on what media is acceptable and not already, even before this, even outside of this question of that, that we're, what we're talking about today and and the question of do people understand what Zionism is? Do they understand what's going on in Palestine? Outside of that, they've accepted this premise. They've accepted this premise that somehow this news, because there's Russian reporters giving it, is somehow not valid as the rest of the news. So we've, mm-hmm. we've already been saying who can control. And we're, we were playing those mind games on the people who are on social media. We've been doing it for a while. Oh yeah, I mean, like that was. This goes all the way back to what 2016, and the oh, we've got Russian bots that are um, infecting whatever and cause Trump to win or or whatever. That was like this sort of like weak sauce attempt to uh, to essentially blame media on just like a bad thing for the established liberal order. Um, so I guess I don't know. The- so Jeffrey, if they if they understand if they understand that media can be controlled, they understand at least they understand that as a concept, right? They've been introduced mm-hmm. to that, and they've actually you know they understand. They're the best. They're the so, so, but now they don't understand it. Now they don't understand it. Now they're like, oh, now we're going to believe everything we read. Now, now they don't understand it. It's 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 BS. It's not true. They do understand. They just don't. And, and- they're not thinking. They're thinking because they're racist, and they've decided we're going to sign on to be Israel supporters. We don't know why. We don't know why. But we're just going to sign on for it. And, and that's very frustrating. That's not going to lead to any um, any fruitful ending for anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sabrine mentioned earlier, I mean, this is another good example of, of some of this, this mess. Um, she mentioned the hospital that was bombed in Gaza. Um, and it was initially like, it's very suspicious circumstances surrounding this bombing of a hospital. Like it was very clear that at least on the front end, that like 
Israel, the, the Israeli government had sort of threatened, like, say, we're going to bomb hospitals. You better have start evacuating this hospital, this one in particular. We also bombed it like two days prior. And then all of a sudden, like, it gets bombed again. And um, first off, the Israeli government says that, hey, yeah, that was a Hamas run outfit or hospital or whatever and then it's sort of like actually no hamas did this and it's sort of like so much bs being sort of pumped in to into the situation that you can't really like if you're if you are a workaday person who can't really spend you know an, a, a a lot of time thinking about this stuff and actually examining the forensics of what actually went down here then you just sort of like throw up your hands and you go, you, go, you know, I, who knows what could have happened there. It's really, really like shocking how that that whole thing, like watching that happen in real time. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one of the Israeli security generals, some general for that government, he tweeted that they bombed it. They completely took credit. They were so proud that they bombed this hospital. And then when they got this backlash, they were like, well, no, actually, it was a Hamas rocket. Hamas doesn't have rockets that are able to do the damage that was done to that hospital. And let me say this. If they did have, if Hamas had rockets that could do that damage, Gaza would not be under occupation right now. They would have won their freedom a long time ago if Hamas rockets were able to do what an Israeli rocket can do. And, and and this is like happening in real time. So like I when I saw this, like the the hospital, I'm just going to talk about my, my own sort of like deal with this as it happened. Like I posted on my Facebook. I'm like, oh, no, you know, Israel bombed a hospital. And I've instantly got like Zionists like yelling at me like these are the these are this is what happens in the middle of a war. They don't they're not defend. They're not saying that like, oh, no, it's bad to, to bomb a hospital. And then, like, when the sort of question of who, like, sent that bomb or whatever came up, you, if you even grant, like, okay, maybe there is a question of who it was. Now they're all of a sudden concerned is, like, actually Hamas bombed the hospital, and that's the only thing that matters. They, they were perfectly fine defending the bombing of a hospital prior, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, you're, you're the other side. It's, like, very much team sports. You know what I mean? And it's very, like, I don't know. I, that That's something that's... That, that people aren't aren't thinking about this in any kind of actual like critical way and they absolutely don't care about any of the people that are affected they're just they're just either collateral damage or tools uh or you know a bloody shirt to wave uh but like how many people were killed like 500 people were killed in the hospital over and like a this is, over a thousand people were killed in the bombing of this hospital and it's like you know what the most important thing is, is that we we point the finger in the right direction you know what i mean Make sure that make sure that uh, or or make sure that Israel doesn't get blamed. Right, and I know I saw a lot of rhetoric online regarding the hospital that, well, you know, it, it was Hamas or we we bombed it because Hamas, you know, they were they were under the tunnel in the hospital, whatever. To that I say, well, what about in the West Bank where Hamas does not exist? You still bomb us in the West Bank. I'm, I'm from the West Bank, that's why I say we, but you still bomb you still kidnap you, you you're still committing a genocide in the west bank you still cut off water and electricity in the west bank you still control whether humanitarian aid comes into the west bank where hamas does not exist and hamas to put in perspective hamas is a political party that have a defensive 
sector to them. But Hamas at large is a political party that held lawful elections in Gaza in 2007, and the people of Gaza legally elected Hamas to power. So, I mean, you you hear all these words about like, well, what is Hamas? What is Hamas? It's the Democratic Party. It's the Republican Party. It's any other political party that mm-hmm. lawfully and legally won an election. So, you know, and, and then, you know, that aside, they don't exist in the West Bank. So why are you committing a genocide in the West Bank? Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. Like whatever way you look at it, Israel's propaganda doesn't make sense. And I will say that I feel like there has been a shift for the first time in my life where I feel like Israel is finally losing the narrative. Their propaganda is not working anymore. And I, a lot of that, I give credit to social media. I mean, this is, I think, one of the first times we have live footage of mm-hmm. babies' heads dangling in rubbles of their homes, right? This is the first time people are seeing that. We've always known, right? The Palestinians have always known that that happens, but it's the first time anybody outside of Palestine is seeing that. And so there is a shift because you can tweet all these things, you can pay celebrities to post that they stand with Israel, but when somebody is watching a live video from a reporter on the ground in Gaza and seeing civilians bloody in the streets, you're not gonna confuse them, you can't anymore. You've lost it. I want to talk actually about um, what you just mentioned, the um, sort of shifting tides in terms of not just the awareness of what's actually going on in both Gaza and the West Bank. I don't I don't mean to sell the West Bank short on this, but this is just sort of like where everything is happening uh, right now. But um, there is a lot more of a uh, resistance movement, of um, protest movement. Um, there was, just in, in Virginia and in downtown New Orleans, um, Jenny mentioned that there was a protest that was organized um, just yesterday as a recording. Uh, so um, Wednesday, there was uh, action in the U.S. Capitol where many people from JVP, Jewish Voice of Peace, and uh, if not now, were uh, occupying part of the Capitol Rotunda uh, calling for a ceasefire, which, I mean, I can't imagine that taking place. Well, there were very big anti-Iraq war protests prior to, I mean, prior to the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't know, you know, if we're, these things are necessarily comparable, but it is good to see that on the specific issue of like solidarity with Palestine and people in Gaza who are under attack right now, who are being ethnically cleansed, um, it is it is nice to see that. Do you all want to talk about that for a bit? Well, let me just say, Jeffrey, that everywhere in the world, there are people who support Palestine, not just in the Muslim world. Okay, you can look at Latin America, wherever there, in Bolivia, for example, wherever there is an indigenous population that has rose up into power. That uh, Colombia, I think, too. Okay, wherever there is an indigenous population that has rose up to power, they unequivocally support Palestine. But wherever there is a public government that's been placed by the United States or supported by the United States, of course they're not. So it's very clear what's going on. It's the suppressed voices and those that are bought and paid for by the ones that suppress the voices. That's what's going on. But a large amount of the world is actually in support of Palestine. Many people from many countries, right? Um, so it, the idea that these, these protests, and actually yesterday was the fourth, the fourth protest. Fourth protest in New Orleans in a small. How many times have you seen that on local news? Because I got interviewed yesterday and it got like two seconds. 
two seconds. And you know what came right after? It came a, a protest, um, a, a protest in front of, you know, pro a pro Israel protest or something. I don't know. It just came right after mine, right? And then then they spend most of the time talking about pumpkin patches at the mall or something. So they gave it like two seconds. Yeah, I'm not kidding. True. Um, and so we, they're not putting this, they're not putting this out there, but this is an, a global anti-war movement that is growing in the world. A global, a, they want to be afraid. They want to, they want to call the resistance scary. They're not, they're not ready for it. It's a global anti-war movement that's going to happen in the whole world. So either if you're for war, that means you want war. That means you're calling it upon yourself. I don't know anybody who wants to call evil upon themselves. I don't want anyone. I don't know anyone that wants somebody to say, Hey, I would love to have a bomb on top of my house. I live in suburbia, you know, somewhere in suburbia, but I would, I dream of the day that there's a bomb on my house. You know why? Cause I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot. That's why. So how are you going to defend yourself if a bomb falls on your house? Stupid. It's just stupid, but there's a global anti-war movement. And I think they're afraid of that because the people can stop, can stop the economy. The people can, the people's voices matter. And when the resistance grows, they want to be afraid, then they be afraid. They should do the right thing now. Stop other people's kids from being killed. Cease fire. Call for a cease fire. And don't just wait till it happens to you in your town, USA, one day. Sabrina? So, I have a few points. We want an immediate ceasefire, right? That's what the people of Gaza deserve. But that is only, that is putting a Band-Aid on a huge open wound. We want an end to genocide. We want an end to the occupation. A ceasefire is not enough. That's not where it ends. It's not where it's, like, that's not where we're at. You do it right now because that's what you owe the people of Gaza, right? But then we need more after that right? We need our land back. We need to return to our homes. The 6 million Palestinians that live in diaspora, we want to come home. I want to live in the land my grandparents cultivated. I want to live in my grandparents' home. I want to I want to be on the land of my people. That's my right, right? I was born a Palestinian. That's, that's what my ancestors left me, and I deserve to have that. The other thing I'll say is Israel is currently in the West Bank rounding up hundreds and hundreds of Palestinians for no reason. Not the ones that are out protesting, which is their right. They are going to homes and just picking up people by the hundreds. They recently arrested Delal, who is a Palestinian woman. She's a singer. All she does is post videos of her singing Palestinian folk songs. That's all she does. That is her full-time job. But that is how much a Palestinian is a threat to the state of Israel. Our songs songs that they don't have because they're not indigenous to the land, right? The songs that our grandparents and our great-grandparents passed on to us, singing those songs in our homes is that much of a threat to them. They are so afraid of what is a Palestinian. They are willing to throw you in jail for singing the song your grandmother taught you. That's how deep this goes. That's how hard they're trying to hold on to this idea that the land is theirs, and that's how much they're losing. It's slipping from their hands to the point where a song threatens the the state of Israel. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I guess sort of um, as we wind down, um, just sort of final thoughts on, you know, where we're at, how, you know, how are y'all doing in the midst of all this? Because I know this has got to be something that's very difficult. And, you know, I, I don't mean to be too, like, yeah. you know, but just, okay. Jeffrey, I'm going to leave the final word to, to Sabrine. So I'm going to say something. Uh, as a Cuban-American, as a Muslim Cuban-American, right? 
I grew up with Cubans saying one day, anti anti Fidel Cubans, obviously, that I grew up with, we'll come we're gonna come back one day because we were kicked out of our country. And they Cubans for a long time kept the keys to their home. They kept the keys to their home and they said they were gonna come back one day. These same people are now completely brainwashed, mm-hmm. completely right wing, and now they they're not making that connection. The Cuban Americans now are are not are supporting the politicians who are pro and supporting Israel. They mm-hmm. they they have their I guarantee you Cuban grandparents all over Miami have the keys to the original house. They should feel solidarity with the Palestinians for different reasons for different reasons. But anyway, there's there's too much to say. How are we doing? Um, if we are tired, it don't matter. I don't care if I sleep or not much or little, eat much or little. I keep thinking people in Gaza can't eat. They can't sleep. They're crying. They're grieving. So suck it up. You are very privileged and use every single opportunity you have to say something and do something. So, but, but, but we're good. We're all right with it. You know, mm-hmm. thanks for asking, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Sabrina, I am in there. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of living in like a twilight zone for the past two weeks. Uh, Every day I get confirmed deaths of people I know, I love, that I'm related to. Um, And that's hard, right? And so as a Palestinian, uh, I take comfort at these times knowing that the liberation of my people is promised. There will be a free Palestine, right? My grandparents were born in a free Palestine. They died in an occupied Palestine. But I have lots and lots of hope that their great-grandchildren will live and die in a free Palestine. So I hold on to that at these times. Um, As a human rights attorney, I hold on to the fact that empires always come crashing down. We know that. We studied it. We know it. And so uh, to that, I I just wait for how much longer Israel and the United States have. And I just hold on to the fact that knowing that they both will come down one day. Thank you, Jenny Yanez and Sabrina Bed. I uh, appreciate y'all coming on. Good morning, comrade. Thank you uh, to everybody who's listening. You can listen to us every Saturday at 10 a.m. on WHIV FM uh, 102.3. And you can also listen anywhere in the world at uh, WHIVFM.org slash listen. Get more information, back episodes on goodmorningcomrade.com. Thank you. I love you. Bye-bye.